there we go. Fantastic. All right. It's new stuff, so we're all learning today. Uh, but it seems to be working. So, uh, you know, let's have a go. Uh, it's, we're late, but it's okay. It's a good day, and uh, the choir's brass and great stuff. Thanks very much for them. Let's pray, and then we'll chat. I was afraid I wouldn't have enough for you, but I think maybe I will now. So by the, by the, everything works together. O Lord, who graciously kindles our faith with the light of your saving word, let the knowledge of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, shine in our hearts. Grant that we always follow his light and adorn his pure teaching of the word with holiness in our lives and in our conversations through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Okay, grab a Bible, spin open to Leviticus. I, I continually, as I prepare in the week, think how strange this must be for you. Uh, it is strange for me, too. This isn't the sort of stuff you spend your time on in pastor school. Nevertheless, uh, the Lord thought it good to put it in, and occasionally we ought to just give the Lord the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I didn't put the text down there, Leviticus 2. Now, what I'm thinking is, is that I won't do every last thing in Leviticus, but I'll do enough of them so that you know what's cooking. But let's, uh, let's, just, let's just read through here. Leviticus 2, what's cooking is uh, flour sometimes, and sometimes not, okay? So I'm going to read quickly, just so you get the lay of the land, and then just talk about what's, what's going on here. Okay, here we go, Leviticus 2. When anyone brings a cereal offering as an offering to the Lord... His offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour, pour oil upon it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. He shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a portion of remembering. An offering by fire, a pleasant odor to the Lord, and what is left, of the cereal offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the offerings by fire to the Lord. So I just, I just as an addendum, that's the raw bit. You bring raw flour, okay? But there's another possibility. When you bring a cereal offering that's baked in an oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. And if your offering is a cereal offering baked on a griddle, it shall be with fine flour, unleavened and mixed with oil. You shall break it into pieces and pour oil on it. It is a cereal offering. And if your offering is a cereal offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the cereal offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar and the priest shall take from the cereal offering its memorial portion and burn it on the altar, an offering by fire, a pleasing odor to the Lord, and what is left of the cereal offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings by fire to the Lord. No cereal offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. You shall burn no leaven nor any honey, but that's probably better translated as syrup like this pomegranate syrup or the syrup of a fruit. It can be honey, but it's probably not in this case. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey syrup as an offering by fire to the Lord. As an offering of the first fruits, 
you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing odor. You shall season all of your cereal offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be lacking from your cereal offering. And with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a cereal offering of the first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the cereal offering of your first fruits crushed new grain from fresh ears parched with fire. And you shall put oil upon it and lay frankincense on it. It is a cereal offering. And the priest shall burn it. I'm sorry, the priest shall burn as its memorial portion of the crushed grain and of the oil and with all of its frankincense. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. <laughs> now, you know, your first response <clears throat> may be, why do we have to do that? And the answer is, hey, you don't have to do anything. Uh, all of the Christian life is what you get to do and not what you've got to do. And I'd like you to please observe that what we did last time I was with you, and again this time, are optional things. They're extras. They're benefits. These things that we're reading about are tucked between the daily sacrifices, morning and evening. Morning and evening, the Lord says, do this. Uh, and the priests, in fact, do. But the Lord never stops giving his gifts. This, you see, is pure gospel. Here's another chance for you to get close to the Lord if you want. You remember last time, it was all about uh, uh, the offering of an animal. It was, last time, uh, the, uh, a time ago, two times ago. I, gave you, I guess I gave you a little summary last time. It was last time around uh, the personal family offering. That is, if you came in the morning and all your sins were forgiven, but uh, there was still an extra thank you you wanted to say or an extra thing that wasn't quite done, you weren't quite certain about, the Lord provided for that. And I suggested to you that's very much like personal absolution. This morning, everything you know, that you hear, smell, touch is about the forgiveness of sins. But I guarantee you, when I come to my office on Tuesday morning, there will be a call or two or five or ten from people who just can't quite believe that they've been forgiven. And so the proper thing for a pastor to do is to call people in and say, oh, of course the Lord is for you and not against you. See, that, in fact, is what the Lord provided in that offering of the animal, the peace offering we talked about two times ago. Now again, the Lord offers another possibility just to say thanks. I mean, this is a text about having your life engaged in stewardship, believe it or not. This is a text where after you've been to the morning sacrifice and all has been forgiven, and your family says, we'd like to do a bit more, or isn't there something else? Or wouldn't it be fun if the Lord, you see, provides those opportunities? So I give it to you in this way. Uh, and I try to explain to you why it is they do what they do. 
and how it is that the Lord connects to you. Underneath now, here's the underlying thing. Try to remember that the Lord always meets you where you are. So the Lord isn't far away and you're down here. You know, and you have to guess what he wants. The Lord is interested in closing the gap. The Lord will do anything to have you as his own. He will do anything so that you can go home and feel forgiven. He will do anything so that you can feel included. He will do anything to give you the opportunity to confess, to express your faith. And this is one of those things. See if you can see it that way. The Old Testament is so misunderstood when it is understood as a list of things to do. And if you do them all right, then maybe the Lord will love you. That's utter nonsense. The, the Old Testament is about how God closed the gaps between himself and sinners. He is holy, sinners aren't. That's dangerous, but the Lord never gives up. Okay? So you've been uh, to morning sacrifice, and uh, an animal has been slaughtered in your place, and all your sins are forgiven, and you're to go about your business then, but occasionally somebody hangs behind and does what? Here it is, uh, the first point number one. You bring grain, and you can bring it raw or cooked. You can bring it raw as your translation says fine flour, but it means the best of what you've got. And you'll notice in verse 14 that it is also the first of what you've got. Now, you know, we, we, we talk about stewardship all year long, but this really is a thing that we need to bring more to the forefront in our own lives. It is both the best of what you've got and the first of what you've got. Isn't that interesting? The Lord's holy, you're not. He wants to close the gap. He'd love to see you, but don't come like a slacker. You know, the Lord is doing his best to give you all his gifts, and he's telling you exactly how he chooses to give them. You know, so he says, you bring the first of what you've got and the best. You can bring it raw if you like, or... You know, you can bring it cooked. And this is typical Middle Eastern fare. You can make it in loaves. You can make it in flat cakes on a griddle. Uh, you can bring it as round cakes. Whatever your family does, you know, these kinds of things, bring that. But you'll notice, like the flour was the first part of the harvest, you're also supposed to bring the first part that you process. So for the Lord, it's always first and best. Now, just for fun because the Lord, uh, you know, has a sense of humor, and uh, heaven will be a wonderful place. You drop in a bit of olive oil. Why? Uh, it tastes good. It's good for you. And it make th makes things burn nicely. Uh, you put in a bit of frankincense. Why? Because it smells good. And you add salt. And you notice there was about three verses where it said, don't forget the salt, don't forget the salt. Why the salt? One is, salt is valuable, of course. But two is, salt is a mark of intimacy. You know, we're short a little bit of time, but later you can go home and, and read this bit from Ezra, where, where people are trying to say um, what sort of status they have. They say, you know, we've shared salt at the king's table. Well, there is an intimacy see there, a familiarity. It's also costly. See, I mean, this is all, this is just New Testament stuff. This should be your world in Wheaton in 04. You bring your first, you bring your best, 
and you spare no expense for your engagement with the Lord. It's just the same old stuff. But why no leaven and no syrup? And it actually seems to be a fairly simple explanation. One is both of those um, spoil easily. And you remember that uh, this is all about the difference between what is holy and not holy, what is clean and what's not clean, what is fresh and what is rotten, what is acceptable and unacceptable. Both leaven and this syrup cause things to ferment. Okay? That's, how, that's how yeast works, right? Causes things to ferment, as does syrup. The sugar, you know why these grape juice turn to wine? Well, uh, if you make something up that contains these elements, you risk mold and decay. And uh, when you bring your gift, you, you, you'd never want to be bringing something that would be less than your best. Less than your first, less than your best. And so the Lord says, leave those out. So you put in the good things, things that make it smell good, things that make it burn well, you know, things that show intimacy and value, and you leave out anything that would have the potential to spoil your gift. I mean, if you can't translate this to your own life, I can't help you anymore. I mean, this is it. Bring your first, bring your best, bring your finest. Now, hear me. It does not say, and you regularly see, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the richest. You notice that there are several ways. You know, if you can bring an ox, bring an ox. If you can't bring an ox, bring a sheep. If you can't bring a sheep, bring a pair of doves. You know, everybody's got a little bit of flour to spare. And even if it pinches you a bit, bring it anyway. The Lord honors the pinching. This is just pure, you know, daily stewardship stuff. Yes, please. Isn't there a practical Well said. Yeah, he says there's a practical application. That's the way to push the text. Good job. Uh, he said there's a practical application for the priest, which is, uh, in a moment you'll see that part of this was left behind, as a stipend for the priest. This is how the, the church kept going. And if you put either leaven or uh, syrup into it, it doesn't have as long a shelf life. It's not as valuable a gift. Thank you very much. Um, that's very helpful and observant. Okay? So you may read this, and this may make no sense to you at all. But what, in fact, it is, this is your life. You bring your first, you bring your best, you bring it the way the Lord prescribes, and you bring it in joy. Okay? This is just, just simple stuff. So I give you then point two, you know, what's really going on? What's really going on is the Lord wants to close the gap. Uh, you'll notice that every day in your ordinary life, the Lord wants to close the gap. The Lord insists on closing the gap. You may insist other, but what the Lord insists on is forgiving you. There's that little cape and quote on the side where it says, hell is filled with forgiven sinners. It's very interesting. It's also true. People whom, for whom the Lord died, but they said, I, I, I got a better way. It's, it's fa you know, the, the church makes its greatest mistake by thinking that we're better than people who are in hell. Better than anybody else. That's the church's greatest mistake. When we think we're better than other people. We're not. There's no difference between us and the people in hell except that we've been given to and said, thank you very much. Good gift.
So I sort of press you on to point three already then. How does it work? And you'll see that the Lord is clever. You know what's particularly helpful about Byron's comment is, you know how clever, what a clever interpretation of the text that is. Because uh, there are so many things that the Lord does in these kinds of texts that when you sort of, when you, when you sort of grasp when you say, hmm, isn't that great? Well, I've tried to give you a couple of these. One is, you remember that they're still getting all these instructions on the way to the promised land. They're getting these instructions when they don't have any grain to harvest yet. Isn't that interesting? So this is an anticipation of what the Lord will do. You might think to yourself about how we think here about what's in the future and what the Lord promises and trying to figure it out. This is an anticipation of a time when a holy Lord will bring a holy people into a holy land. Okay? It is also, you see, a family offering. And I said a bit about family devotions last time, and I'll say it again. When a family brought this offering, everybody was engaged. You know, in an, ag in a, in an agricultural society, the entire family is engaged. You plant, you till, you gather, you parch, you grind, you cook, you bring, you eat. That engages the whole family. This is the brilliance of this, what the Lord is doing here. That he says, here's a way that your whole family can be reconciled to me. The whole family brings it together, right? And of course, I've already said something about it being first fruits, which always includes it being best. You bring what is first and best. And you see then how uh, the sacred comes among us. The acts of God make the world a holy place. You see, isn't, isn't this interesting how the Lord, the Holy Lord, comes to people, and he doesn't give them something they can't do. He gives them the most natural thing in the world. If they're farmers, what they're long on is oxen, sheep, doves, which they used to eat, and grain. That's what they've got. And for fun, they've got frankincense, olive oil, and salt. He doesn't ask them for what they don't have. He asks them for what he's given them. He asks them for what they do have. Isn't that great? This is, this is you got, in ringing in your ears has to be the text where, where the Lord says, you know, I'm not far away from you. I'm right here by you. But what I've given you to do isn't too hard to do. It's just not. If you could see this as ordinary life, if you could just see this as the way the Lord wants to love you. You know, why does he do it this way? He does it this way because this is the circumstance that they were in. Why does he love you the way he loves you? Because this is the circumstance that you are in. It's just, it just is so, the Lord makes it so easy. Flip your page. <clears throat> this may help you a bit when you uh, get to... <clears throat> reading the New Testament, especially the Gospel of John, which is gathered around the big festivals and has its chronology, its timeline, different from uh, the rest of the Gospels. He tells the story in a different way for effect. But John often gathers his <clears throat> Jesus teaching around the festivals where there's grain because John has this great notion of Jesus as the bread of life come down from heaven. So you remember that there, or you may not remember, maybe you never got taught this. I never got taught this, so here you go. There were three big festivals of grain in Hebrew life. 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the beginning of the grain harvest, uh, the Feast of Weeks, which you come to know as Pentecost, which was the end of the grain harvest, and the Feast of Booths, which was the end of the agricultural year where everything sort of gathered in. Occasionally, you know, you'll still, have you got, have you got Jewish friends that you've seen this before where the booths are made and the, the produce is hung? Have you seen that? That's what this is. And these were times when pious Jews would try to make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So it's a fascinating thing when Jesus comes that at the point when, am I back? Yeah, I am. Okay, it's fat, right when I scream at you, right? Which is what you want to grow up with, pastors that scream at you. It's fascinating that, the, 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 that in this agricultural society, bread is the centerpiece not only of physical life, but of spiritual life. You want to grow close to the Lord? Bring some bread in and share it with the priests. Isn't that great? And then Jesus comes and says, hey, guess what, friends? I am the bread of life dropped down from heaven. Boom! That shuffles the deck. I'm the guy. Okay, this is just great stuff. All of this, and I sort of press you forward because I know that other people are coming for baptism and we ought not to get in their way, uh, is received by God as a gift. Everybody knows it's his money. It's a little like when your kids buy you uh, a birthday present. You know, hey, where'd they get that money? Yeah. Hey, where's all the money in the change drawer? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the Lord, the Lord knows the score. He gives you this and you give it back. He knows the score. The problem is, you often don't know the score. Nor do I. You know, we struggle with this. So, uh, and I'll do one last thing, and then part of this I'll have to do next week. I will go back to Byron's point, which it does support the house of God. Uh, you know, in the, in the uh, and, and factor me out of the equation, you know. Send me away somewhere. But, you know, for you all, Part of your job in life is to support the church. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about me now. I'm, you know, factor me out of the equation. Part of your job is to keep the church going so that there's holy space and holy time and holy people here so that people who are not holy have a place to come and be forgiven and refreshed. That is part of your task. And it is, of course, part of this task here. It was great joy. It was great joy when these people showed up uh, doing the above and beyond thing. This isn't what, what's required. This is, the, this is just pure, I want to do something extra for the church. I want to do something extra for my family. I want to move closer to God. Speak about it in all the ways that you normally speak about it with, with managing your own life and stewardship. This is, here it is. It's in Leviticus. But what you have to remember is that it is the Lord who does these things. It is the Lord who prescribes the Lord says, it'll be in this place at this time, and this is what we will do. Uh, you'll bring this, which I've given you, and you'll say this, which I've told you to say, and you'll do this when you engage the priests, and all will be well. I mean, what's to argue with in that? The only thing better is, and I won't do this, we'll sort of pick it up next week, point four, which is all of it gets fulfilled in Christ. In the end, Christ is the bread of life. 
In the end, Christ is the holy space. In the end, Christ does hallow time. In the end, Christ does give all gifts. In the end, Christ does provide a way to close the gap. You see, history, sacred history, the history of the scriptures, yes, it's about history, and it's about wandering in the desert, and it's about, you know, trudging into the promised land. It's about all of those things, and yet it's not. It's really about something more. What it's about is the appearance of Christ to dwell with his people in flesh and blood, and in that way to hallow us. That's what it's about. I'll read through it when you get home, see what you think. We got people waiting, and uh, it's a good day. It's, a, it's good that we're late. It was fantastic stuff going on. Baptisms and supper and people, it's good. Thanks very much. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.